And let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Well, the growing season is officially over this week with the arrival of our uh, sub-freezing temperatures. My grass came back from the summer drought, filled in nicely and turned a lovely shade of green. I can grow grass better than anything. I'm, I'm really good at growing grass. <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> yeah. Wrong grass. Um, I like plants and trees a lot, but I don't have a green thumb. I barely have a thumb. Um, but the clay soil around my house doesn't help. Uh, I've had to pull out four good-sized shrubs that died and send them on to their eternal reward because of that soil. I drove by uh, this week, uh, driven by a couple of times, Joe's Garden. Oh, man. Now, this week, of course, it doesn't look like that. This week, it's all just black soil. And I thought, wow, look at that black soil. That is some great stuff. Reminds me of a friend in Tukwila who, who grew, his garden looked that good. I mean, this guy could hear the weeds growing and, you know, pull them out. But he put 10 yards, a, a dump truck full of manure on his garden every year and tilled it in. And he had the best soil and grew, grew some tremendous vegetables, tremendous vegetables and fruits. In our sin-cursed world, good soil doesn't just happen. Healthy plants grow in soil that has been nourished and cultivated. And the same is true of our godliness Things like thankfulness don't just happen in the Christian life, even though God commands it. Gratefulness is the product of a soul which has been nourished with a godly understanding of life. That is the soil in which we have got to, we've got to prepare the soil of our thinking so that what comes out is gratefulness to God. During this month of November, we've been looking at at several components of that fertile soil. And the first one is this, we need to understand the greatness of our salvation. Sometimes we get to taking salvation for granted. I can remember as a child, before I understood things very well, I used to think, well, I'm going to heaven and they're not. And that didn't really concern me and it didn't impress me because I had a childish understanding of things. I've come to understand what a great blessing that is, especially when I visit people like Al Pulling, who is slowly fading into eternity in the hospice house. And the last words that he said to me were, I'm so glad for that absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's where the reality of salvation comes in and we look at that and say, wow, I'm going to be that way when I'm on my deathbed. What a great thing. And that helps us to be grateful about, our sal about, about life and about salvation when we understand how great our salvation is. We also looked at, at the idea of how God works in our life. We have to understand that he works beyond just our personal comfort. God is at work in all kinds of things. Last week we looked at our past and said we have to come to grips with our past the way God does. Things have been forgiven, things need to be let go, and we need to look forward in our life. Today we're going to look at this truth. God is the source of all of the good things in our life. 
If we don't understand this, if this is not the soil in which our godliness is growing, we will not be thankful. Uh, Instead, we will be entitled, and we will think that we deserve certain things. Follow as I read from uh, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. From this scary narrative and the words of Christ, we learn this truth. God is the source of our financial prosperity. This farm existed, of course, in the days before Um, before what we would call man-made irrigation. Now, there were some ways they could get water from a river or a lake and and move it, but that was pretty limited. Uh, Their farming was much more similar to uh, folks in eastern Washington that raise crops like dryland wheat or people in Iowa who grow corn. I, I, I remember going to Iowa 10, 15 years ago. I can't remember when it was now, and and, and I saw the corn was really high. This was like in July. And it never dawned on me before that they don't irrigate that stuff. I mean, most of the crops around eastern Washington and eastern Oregon are irrigated because that's what you have to do. But there, is, there are crops like the dryland wheat. And, and uh, you plant it in the fall, and it, uh, over the winter it lays there, and the spring comes, and the rains come, and, and up comes the wheat. And, and of course, the, the similarity between this man's farm and the dry land is you don't know what the rain is going to do. You don't know what the diseases and the, the pests and so on. And unlike our day, there weren't so many you know, things you could do to compensate for some of those problems. And so you wait till the harvest comes to see how's it going to be this year? How are my finances going to be? And look at verse 19. This man, from one year, brought in so much crops that he said, you have goods laid up for many years. That's beyond a bumper crop somewhere. But he didn't praise God. And we need to ask the question, why didn't he praise God? He didn't praise God because he believed he alone was responsible for his success. Look at verse 17 through 19, and if you want to do something fun, take your pencil and circle all of the personal pronouns. What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? He said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and I will store all of my crops, and I will say to my soul. This guy was all focused on himself, just like the majority of people in our society are. And when they succeed, they go, see what I have done. 
And because we live in that society, we suck that up. And the soil of our mind and our heart tempts us to think, I am solely responsible for this greatness that has come to me financially. Now, I understand, for instance, that God even tells us to work hard and that some of our success in life with finances is a result of hard work. Proverbs 6 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer, gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? These were written to a teenager, by the way. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. No, so we look at that and we say, that's right, God tells us to work hard. And after I have worked hard, I have the right to say, look what I have done. But God also tells us this, every good and perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights. You see, we need to back up a little bit farther and ask some questions. Who created the human mind? Who created the physical world? Who controls the rain that falls? Who caused you to be born into a certain family with certain characteristics? You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Every human being is a little bit unique. We all have unique abilities, some have unique physical abilities, some have unique mental abilities, some have a combination, and, and we're all better at some things than others. And we need to step back far enough and say, how did I get to be that way? Well, it started with how God caused you to be created, and it continued with how God allowed you to be educated and experienced and, and trained and so on. God causes us to gain knowledge and skill. God controls the environment. And God brings all of these things together to create whatever we have. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy, sell, and make a profit. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. In other words, yes, we make plans. Yes, we work hard. Yes, we take training and so on. But we hold all of that with open hands saying, this came from you and I'm using it for you. And when I succeed and when my bank account is full, I will say, you have enabled me to do this. God puts together our hard work with all of those other factors, but this rich man forgot the part that God plays. I'm sure he was a hard worker. I'm sure he had given himself to learning about farming. 
Uh, from what I know of, of farmers, they are not unintelligent people. And they are not unskilled. There are so many things to learn. My, my, uh, my daughter Molly, her father-in-law is an apple farmer over in Wenatchee. And, and I love to ask him a question about the apples because there is all of this science and all of this work and all of this stuff going on. And, and he gets great crops of apples. He's a very good farmer, but he'll tell you. He says, you know, ultimately, this is up to the Lord. He said, I've seen times when the rain or the hail or whatever it was came on that side of the road, but not this side of the road. No kidding. There is much work to be done in any field of endeavor, but God is the source, the ultimate source. Financial prosperity can draw you away from praising God, or it can be the content of your thanksgiving as you see God's hand in all of your blessings. Part of cultivating the soil of your heart is learning these truths and then starting to see God at work. What do I mean by that? I mean one of the prayers you ought to pray in the morning is, God, let me see what you're doing around me. You'll begin to see how you got that job or how you got a promotion or how God made certain things to work out for you. Um, you'll begin to see it in different ways. Somebody was telling me today about some, some free things they got from you know, searching the internet and finding these things and, and you know, actually several thousand dollars worth of stuff they got for free. But I also know that that person is always talking about the Lord and seeing the Lord's hand and all of those things. That's, we've got to cultivate that heart to say, um, God is at work. God is at work. God is the source of my financial prosperity. Number two, God is also the source of my physical prosperity or my, my health or my strength, as you would call it. Turn over a few chapters to Luke 17. Luke 17 and verse 11. Now it happened, as Jesus went through Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? The word leprosy in the Bible is used to actually refer to a wide range of skin problems. In the Old Testament era, when a person got a sore of any kind, the priest was the one who would examine it. And God actually gave rules for this. And the, of course, the, the big picture here with some of God's uh, rules in the Old Testament was God was trying to teach people the difference between clean and unclean in our approach to him. It wasn't just about the physical realm. 
but it was also about protection. It seems to be that God was protecting his people. And so the act, there is a disease called leprosy as we know it today, and that was one of the things that was active in that Old Testament time, but there were many other skin disorders. And so the uh, person who got some, some thing, some skin issue, he would go to the priest, and the priest had a means to examine it. And if the priest determined this is something bad, then this is what had to happen. Now the leper, on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. The bare head means no hat. It doesn't mean he had to cut all of his hair off. But he would not wear a hat. He would tear his clothes, which was a sign of grief or of mourning. And frankly, I don't know what the cover the mustache thing means. I, I really don't. Maybe he was supposed to cover his mouth. Uh, I, I, I don't understand that. But I understand that he had to stay away from people and go, unclean! Wouldn't that be great every time somebody walks, goes, hey, hey, don't get over here, I'm unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. This was given to Israel in the time when they were in the wilderness camping, but the, the rules carried over to when they actually had cities. And so if you were declared to, be, uh, to have this dangerous skin condition of any kind, you had to go outside the city gate, and, and then when people were walking down the road, you had to go, unclean! That way they would stay away, because if they got close to you or touched you, then they would be ceremonially, ceremonially unclean and unable to worship. Okay? You say, wow, that's a complicated system. It's a lot better just to go to the doctor. Yeah? They didn't have that. And then if the sick person recovered, he or she was to go to the priest for verification of healing. And the priest would look at it and say, yep, you've been healed. And then there was a worship ritual that was prescribed. In other words, a certain sacrifice and certain things and, that he was supposed to do to give praise to God through the worship. Here we have these 10 guys outside the city. And I believe when they said, have mercy on us, they were saying, give me some money. I don't know whether they really knew he could heal them or not. They didn't say, heal us. They said, have mercy on us. And that's the way, you know, lepers got their living, of course. They'd just be beggars outside the city. So here they are, unclean, unclean. And Jesus said, he didn't even ask them if they wanted to be healed. He said, go show yourself to the priest. They would have understood right away, this is that step when you're healed, go show yourself to the priest. So they started walking, and, and you know, who knows, probably at first they're going, okay, whatever, maybe he's going to give us some money after we go to the priest, I don't know. They start walking, then all of a sudden they go, dude, I'm healed. And you know, nine of those guys did exactly what we would do. They went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they went running home to kiss their wife, hug their kids, have some good food, be with people. They were all enthralled with the blessing they had gotten. But one guy, <laughs> one guy came back and he said, thank you, thank you. One guy 
realized the source of his physical prosperity. Now, we have a different problem today. Um, We get help from the doctor, the dentist, the chiropractor, the nutritionist, the naturopath, and a host of other specialists. And when we get sick, our immediate thought is, turn on the computer, open the yellow pages, go to that directory that we keep with all the names of all of our doctors, and thumb through it till we find the right specialist. You know, uh, when my tonsils were giving me trouble, my GP said, if this carries on, call the ear, nose, and throat guy. So I called the ear, nose, and throat guy, and I went to him, and I went to him, and I went to him. And then he said, my kids need to go to college. We're going to do surgery. (laughs) No. He takes my tonsils out, gives me the pain medication. I go home. I take the pain medication. My wife feeds me soft foods, and I get better. And when I get better, I go, I'm better. I don't say, God healed me, do I? But what is the real source of our health? Who created the human body with the ability to heal even after surgery? You know, the doctor cuts you open, takes something out, puts something in, whatever has to happen, but when he sews that skin back together and he sews those muscles together, that's when the miracle begins. I understand the mechanics and I have a deep uh, uh, admiration for the guys that can especially go in there with little, little things and get around there and do their business and pull all those things out. But the miracle begins afterwards when your body starts rejuvenating. The doctor doesn't have anything to do with that. Who caused men and women to discover how to avoid germs and viruses? Who gave people the mind to do research and and discover and, and to sit and look at something and say, you know, that's just not right. We've got to figure something out. And and we we have all of this knowledge which contributes to our medical system. Who enabled people to make the thousands of discoveries that are part of our medicine and treatment? All of that comes from God. And so at the end of the day, we have got to see that our our physical health comes from God. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or to trust in other things, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. I wrote a little poem that I, I gave to, to some friends in the medical field that's, that's called I am, I am God's Hands. And the gist of the poem is this. I am God's hands, but he is the healer. I have a deep appreciation for those in the medical field, but the source of my health is God. And whatever health and healing I do experience ought to cause me to praise and thank God. In fact, I would say this, both your prayer life and your verbal worship demonstrate where your faith is. You either trust God or you trust the doctor. You either trust in 
money or you trust in God or whatever it might be. And so if, if you're praying about your physical health, then you understand that God is the source of this. Now, I, I, again, I know full well that there are preachers who will say God intends for you to be healthy and so on and so forth. That is not what God says. God says you're going to have trials and difficulties and he will be there with you. And he will heal you from every disease except the one that takes you to glory. What I'm talking about is that whatever health and strength we do have comes from God. And I want you to know that I'm preaching to myself here today because I didn't pray about my tonsillectomy surgery until a few days before because my trust is in the doctor. I'm sick, I go to the doctor. I don't sit at home and pray and say, oh God, heal me. Oh God, work there. You know, frankly, it's an area of growth in my faith that needs to be there. This, this, uh, this little snippet also from the life of Christ gives us a, a perspective on our health that we need to have right along with this. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who, who sinned? Here's a man who's blind. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. In other words, this man doesn't deserve to be blind. His parents don't deserve to have a blind child. He said, this man is in this condition so that the works of God will be revealed in him. That's a broad reference to all of our physical uh, experiences. When you get sick, it's not necessarily because you did wrong. You might have done something wrong that caused your illness. You might have not taken care of yourself. But the vast majority of the time, illnesses come on us because of the sin-cursed world we live in. But God's purpose is to show himself. To show himself. And so when... We are there, we praise God, and we praise God for our healing. And when we're healthy, we praise God. And we don't praise God when we're healthy, knock on wood. Yeah, so something bad won't happen. As though if we talk about health, then we're going to get sick. Our health comes from God. God is the source of our physical prosperity and lastly god is a source of our personal prosperity and i'm talking about just the whole idea of success and achievement here look at luke chapter 18 verse 10 <clears throat> two men went up to the temple to pray one a pharisee the other a tax collector the pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The man referred to here as a Pharisee was a religious man. Now, I'm not speaking to the reality of his faith. Only God knows that. 
By religious, I mean he did all kinds of religious things. He went to the synagogue. He, uh, he, he uh, wore certain clothing. He, as he gives his own testimony here, he gave a tithe of his income. He did many religious things. He was a very religious man in a society that esteemed religious people. In our society today, you can be a really re- religious person, and they say you're a nut, you're, you know, you're a right-wing wacko or whatever. But in that society, the people who, who carried on as the Pharisees did were, were thought, you know, were, they were the upper echelon of the society. But this man, when he came to worship, was full of pride and arrogance. And so his worship was nothing more than self-worship. How can a person get to that place? You can get to that place by allowing personal success to cause you to forget the power which enabled the success. As we have been speaking, who gave you the mind? Who gave you the will? Who put you in a certain place? All of these things contribute to our personal success. Listen to what the warrior king of the Old Testament, David, said. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. Now that's a huge statement in and of itself. You know how they did war back then. I'll bring my army and you bring your army and we'll meet out in such and such a valley and we'll have a little war. And they literally drew up like that. In fact, that's how war was fought all the way up until the Civil War, really. That's when that started to change. But you bring yours out and I'll bring mine out. And largely, they thought in two areas. Number one, how many troops do you have? And how many chariots or horses do you have? And whoever has the most wins. And here is David, the guy who, 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 who led Israel to conquer all the way from the Mediterranean over to what we call Iraq today and a big north to south chunk of the Middle East. And he says, no king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Now, sometimes when people talk this way, others who are more extremely successful will say, well, of course you're talking that way. Look at you. You ain't nothing. And so you're talking about, oh, I trust in the Lord. Uh, David wasn't a man of low estate. Listen to this. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. And he picked up his stones and he ran at Goliath. And that's the guy saying, no king is delivered by the multitude of an army. That's the guy, even right here, he's saying, God, God is going to make me succeed here. This was, 
I mean, you talk Duck Dynasty. Those guys were little girls compared to this guy. I grabbed it by its beard and killed it. What kind of a man does that? And yet that man, he already, by this time, he's a teenager. He already knew how to trust in God. He knew that the source of his personal prosperity was God. And so we need to take a step back sometimes and say, how did I succeed in business? How did I get elected to this office? How did I get this college scholarship? How did I get this position? And we need to realize again, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We need to realize that God is the source of what we have. Your success can lead you into pride and away from God, or it can become the content of your praise. Boardman, Oregon, where we lived for three years, is on the east side of the Cascade Mountains, just in the sand by the Columbia River. And I don't know if it was our, it was probably our first summer there, maybe the second summer, I decided I was going to plant a garden. Now, I am not a gardener, nor the son of a gardener. Uh, Our family used to joke about, uh, you know, when we get old, you know, and then we'll have a garden someday. Um, I, I didn't have a clue but I had a guy in my church who was a scientist, worked in the food industry, and he goes, hey, you can grow anything in sand if you put enough water and fertilizer in it. And, and of course, you know, Eastern, War, Eastern Oregon, Eastern Washington are a tribute to that uh, because they grow tremendous amounts of crops out there. So I uh, planted my garden, and apparently I did not get the right combo <laughs> of soil and fertilizer because my crops were puny and pathetic and that was the last time I planted a garden if you if you find your crop of thanksgiving to be puny the problem may well be that your heart needs to be fertilized with more of God's perspective on your life the more you think like God and see like God the more you will praise God and the more you will live in the joy of the Lord as you see him at work in your life. Tonight we're going to have a worship service. We call it our annual praise service. We don't take time on on Sunday mornings for testimonies very often, but tonight is a night to come and give praise to God for how he's blessed you. Uh, Might be financial, might be physical, might be some success, might be some trial he's brought you through, but tonight is a night to come and share and give praise to God. And frankly, if you can't think of anything to say, spend the afternoon cultivating your heart and asking God to let you see the way he sees your life. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the blessings, many blessings you've given me And I honor you as the giver of all good things. 
Father, I pray that this church would be a place where we see your hand and where we honor you for all of your blessings to us. I pray that tonight we'd have a great time of worship and that you would be genuinely honored as we sing and praise and pray together. Help us to cultivate our hearts to think like you and to see like you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.